Taylor. And I'm Ashley. And we're this celebrity is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get it. Maybe we'll plan it out before the next episode. No. I, don't I would rather die. No, that we will. I don't know that that's our thing. No, I don't like to plan. Um, oh, I want to say up top, before we start this episode, you can listen to this intro. It'll be a real treat. But when we get into our guest, trigger warning. Book, our topic. When we get into our topic this week. If you've ever struggled with eating disorders, <laughs> proceed with fucking caution. <laughs> yeah, be careful, you guys. Um, also, like, trigger warning for ourselves. I know we don't talk about it right. We Neither of us have received professional help in how to talk about eating disorders or professional help with our eating disorders. We're just flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> oh, boy, a are woman we? Who almost died. Um, <laughs> it's not likable. It's not kind. It's not smart. But we hope you like it. Yeah, but it, it might be saying the things you're always thinking. <laughs> <laughs> the things people are afraid to say about the mentally ill. <laughs> but we'll put on a podcast and beg you to listen to. Um, once again, this is this is really one for the cancel me tour that I'm <laughs> hoping to do. I would love to get canceled so I could quit without it being my fault. It's yeah. kind of canceled is like a soft death. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like I used to hope to be hit by a bus so I didn't have to do comedy more without quitting. Being canceled like, for comedians is like being a gymnast who blows out their knee. It's like, thank God I had to stop. <laughs> Seriously. But like in this really like, like almost you get praised like you're a military veteran by the other comedians. The way comedians will rally around you and like you're like you're right to say whatever fucked up thing comes to your mind and the idea that this isn't a job that people can or cannot pay you to do and so if you say something that upsets them they can not pay you to do it anymore. It's crazy to me. Um yeah, no I agree that they're like it is fucking insane that this comedian is like being banned from society and by society I mean being paid very well to have a dream job <laughs> I mean I know nobody asked us to talk about this but my big thing on cancel culture is like when Kevin Hart almost got um fired or he was fired from doing the Oscars because yeah. he wouldn't apologize for beating the shit out of his son if he were gay um <laughs> <laughs> like people acted like that was like an en encroachment on our freedom of speech if you're being paid to do a job, like you are in go to jail. That's what freedom of speech is. And also it's like you're an employee. OK, people act like hosting the Oscars is some form of art. No, it's not. It's just they got hot people to put on fancy dresses to fill time between Johnson and Johnson commercials. If they don't think you and your message and your craft is going to help them sell more tear free shampoo to young mothers, then you don't get that job anymore because you're being paid to do something. You can go out and do whatever you want and call it art, but the minute you're getting paid to do it, it's commerce. And then you've engaged in a contract and you kind of have to play by their rules. Much like upcoming Portia de Rossi, who famously was scared to come out as gay because she thought she would break her L'Oreal contract. Yeah, for morality Exactly. Clause. NBC said no more tears unless there are liberal tears. Then we'll listen. <laughs> anyway, Ashley, what was the chapter of your book this week? Okay, so my chapter this week is called Miles to Go. And I named it that in direct honor of Miley's memoir which I don't think she know exists called Miles to Go. It was published in 2009 when I think she was like nine. I like don't understand how it exists but I remember seeing it in a bookstore one time and I've thought of it every day ever since and the reason I think of it is because it was obviously published way too soon. It was not even a chapter like it was like basically all she'd done was Hannah Montana and they were like let's put out a book and it's like Fully ghostwritten. Have to do with you. Okay, so I'll tell you why this has to do with me is because I feel like I published too soon. 
I feel like I talk about stuff on this podcast that is deeply incomplete. <laughs> you really <laughs> circled this one back around and I apologize for stepping on any words. Do you agree? <laughs> no, because I think you're living your Portia de Rossi, much like Portia de Rossi wrote her book <laughs> from the height of her eating disorder mentality. When you have a crush, we're getting full crush. We're getting we get crush full potential. crush, and then when they act bad, I am sad. Yeah. Oh, Ugh, I didn't think I'd be like this sad about it when I started talking about it, but I am. No, oh yeah, but the reason I didn't want to talk about it on the podcast, the reason I regretted talking about it, is because I'm already dating other people who I think listen to the podcast. Well, yeah. that was last. If they don't know that this shit is pre-recorded, then they're idiots, and you don't want to be dating somebody who doesn't understand the idea of like. Live Media TV is never culture. really live. Sure, exactly. Yes, Nothing is, is live. Watch what happens live isn't live. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. No, I'm okay. I just, like, had a big crush, and he sucked. <laughs> yeah, but he, like, honestly, that was one of those things where it's, like, you know Taylor Swift's song, The One? Like, it would like he is not the person that you're hoping you fall in love with. You're the person that yeah, you're, like, for sure. I would have loved to fall in love with anybody else. If it happened with him, well, congrats, you're in love. But he's definitely not the person you're, like, Man, I hope it's him. <laughs> I mean, literally, I was like, I hope it's not him. I just liked him so much that yeah. I was like, well, I guess all these things that I wasn't looking for are going to be the thing that I like. <laughs> yeah. And then he was not, but I'm still bummed. This is my 6-5 for anyone who's not listening to every single episode religiously. Also, you should be sued for that. But also, if you want to hear the full details of this man, because they are fucking wild, I'm subscribe gonna put to it on the Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> because this man has a story and... Yeah, we talked about it a little bit on the Patreon, like, the day after I met him, I think. Or, like, It'll be like funny for right you listeners to hear about the red flags post the end of the relationship. I to know. Be like- it really was. Okay, so for those of you, I feel like we're talking out of order. Basically, I went out with this guy. We went on a lot of dates over a very short period of time. And then he fell off the face of the earth with, like, really, like, one warning. Yeah. But no real warning in my opinion (laughs) so that's my week and so that's what I mean is I published too soon is that I like went on here and I like gushed about this guy and now I'm already like well who else am I talking to this week that's tough (sighs) I have a date on Thursday and on Friday and one of them's British so oh my god well make sure your time (laughs) zones are lined up because you might have two dates on Thursday (laughs) that's some shit I would pull (laughs) I know what if our date is in England fuck I can't even go there there's travel bans uh, Zoom date. <laughs> Imagine getting Wait, into a Wait, I didn't even learn my lesson. I'm literally right now on the podcast being like, here's what's happening this week. <laughs> we'll let you guys know if either of those dates out. Wouldn't it be funny if like this went into the void and it was our last um, podcast ever because then the world exploded and aliens in 30 years are like, Ashley had a date on Friday and they like make a national holiday out of it and they're all like, <laughs> the, the Ashley date that. of Friday. And then little did they know, it actually never even came to pass because we pre-recorded. Um, yeah. Or what could happen is both of those people who I know have a history of knowing about my online presence, listen to this, which is coming out Tuesday and cancel the dates that are on Thursday and Friday. Prisoners, boys, prisoners dilemma states that the best mutual benefit is if both of you say yes to the date, because then both of you could be canceling the date in case there's a second date and in which case there would be no dates. So yeah, I will Plow say, forth. I don't really understand what you just said. However, <laughs> I will say if me simply mentioning your existence loosely is too much, 
then I don't think we should date. I agree. I will say that if me mentioning that I'm dating a lot of people at once while still sad over someone else is too much, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, Claire, how, what's your chapter? Okay, I'm calling it High Boys, Low Boys. (laughs) Excuse me? Okay, so. Where'd you boys get that beer? (laughs) High boys and low boys are what they call dressers in the mid-century modern world. <laughs> a high boy is like a secretary armoire and a low boy is like the classic uh, two columns of three rows dressers. Um, I don't know if you've been listening, but I've been going through it mentally. <laughs> I've been having a really hard time. And coincidentally, this really hard time has kind of coincided with me buying furniture and I have decided since comedy has taken well listen to this get this since stand-up has left a hole in my heart I've taken to buying chairs that you sit down in to fill it I saw you try to workshop that on Twitter and I don't know if it works either way okay it's not so much a joke as much as like an incredible realization that I'm making about myself okay the chairs can't fix the problem because you don't stand up on a chair true so right at the gate I was wrong-headed about it anyway <laughs> on Friday I truly almost came to a head where I like almost jumped out the window because I was gonna <laughs> because someone decided to give their family heirlooms to their family I <laughs> did what everybody on the planet hopes to do <laughs> I succeeded in the running dream of all six billion earthians <laughs> and finding something on Craigslist that was being sold for way less than it's worth <laughs> That's all anybody wants. That's all anybody cares about. I have so I when I lived in LA, I got a lot of Craigslist furniture simply because it existed and it looked like inexpensive and nice. And then I would have no place for it. And I would. I actually just came to a crux with the chairs. I can't buy any more chairs. But um, (laughs) I actually desperately need a dresser because right now my clothes are just like in piles. I gave Mac the dresser. And so I needed one and I've been very picky and I found this man had the worst photos on Craigslist of a room. Some like his probably his mom's room and it was barely taking photos. I look and I notice immediately the maker of it all is Drexel. I know that that's a good name in uh, mid-century modern. I look it up. He's selling a high. He's literally it's just like trying to get everything. Move it quickly. Uh, good stuff from the 60s. Not like it's made today. It's not like the shit they make today. Uh, it's just Honestly, wanted to go to a good shit home. They make today is literal cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, just wanted to go to a good home. Give me your best offer. And I'm like, just dicking around. I go, I'll give you 300 for the tall boy, 350 for the low boy. Cause the tall boy is a little bit damaged. He goes, okay, sounds good. And I go, okay. I, he, he emails me back at 1130 that he's taking my offer. Oh, my God. And so that next morning, I'm like, cool, where are you? Like, I can come in the truck tonight. I am ecstatic. I'm, like, crying. I'm texting everybody on my phone. I'm calling people. I'm stopping people at work because the tall boy online is going for $1,700. The low boy on lo- online is going for $5,000. I have made – and it's also, like, beautiful furniture. I'm so excited. It's exactly what I was looking for. It's exactly what I was looking to pay like even less really than I'll probably end up paying like I was just blown away and so excited and proud of myself that I've been stalking and stalking and stalking and then I get the email hey Claire I was just about to email you unfortunately my brother's daughter apparently wants to take the dressers and even though we were supposed to liquidate everything for my mom's estate it gets pretty hairy with family stuff sometimes I'm sure you know how it is as you can guess I just backed off and I'm gonna let her have it if she changes her mind I'll let you know though gotta go outside to get some air (laughs) I was like crushed. I was crushed. And now on top of this, 
Three weeks ago, I put a bid in on a bench. The guy from Instagram, the guy told me I could buy it. This same day, he's suddenly being weird as shit about the bench, being like, okay, well, I'm posting it on Sunday. Because I, like, requested it. He got it refurbished for me. We've been, I've been watching how this bench has come along. I didn't pay him at the gate because I was like, originally it was going to come to me the next day. And so I was like, I'll just Venmo him when I receive it. And then it got pushed three weeks. But I had been, every three to four days, I've been DMing him being like, when will it be done? Blah, blah, blah. And suddenly he's like, I'm going to post it on Sunday. I was gone on Sunday. I was going to be out of town. I wasn't going to be on my phone. And I was like, what do you mean post it on Sunday? And he's like, I'm going to put it onto the grid. And I'm just sitting there like, well, is it still up for grabs? Because I thought it was mine. This is Friday morning. I'm like panicking. This now. is I, the exact same as my whirlwind relationship. It literally well, it was like I've been keeping tabs on it. We've been talking. We had established a price. He had sold it to me. Like he like we were I was talking to the refurbisher. The refurbisher then followed me on Instagram and followed my podcast on Instagram. Like I am in it with these people, right? And then I get this like this weird DM where all of a sudden he's like not responding to me anymore. And I'm just like, and so I messaged him on Friday, like Hugh having a both. fucking panic <laughs> attack being like, I cannot lose the tall boy, low boy and this bench. Every, like I have chairs being shipped from Texas next week based on this bench. I organize my whole fucking house around this bench. If I lose this bench, nothing makes sense anymore. I'm losing it. Right. <laughs> so I'm DMing him frantically like, Hey, um, I can't get a truck could I come he's like because I'll be gone on the weekend and I'm like we'll be back and he's like well I'm gonna figure out uh when I can drop it off Monday and he's like but I'm posting it Sunday and I'm like what do you mean posting it and then I was like well what if I come get it tonight because I'm leaving for the weekend and I'm like I could get a truck to you by Friday and he goes well if you get here by seven and I was like okay I'll get here by seven and I'm like freaking out talking to Mac Mac's at work I don't normally I never interrupt him at work but this time I'm like Mac I don't know what to do. And Mac is just like, it's okay, Claire. We'll just go get the bench by seven. And I was like, it seems like he doesn't want me to have the bench though. <laughs> and Mac's like, I don't, whatever, Claire. I'm sure it's not a big, and then he's like, we'll just get it. And then what? And then I'm like, yeah, but why doesn't this guy want me to have this bench? Why does he hate me? Why does he hate me? And he's like, I don't know, Claire, but it, it does. I'm sure he doesn't. It doesn't matter. And so we're, so, I mean, things got really tight. I can't remember why, but it was like, I had to go back to Williamsburg to get a key to show Mac's apartment, the Lower East Side, to then get in onto the train. Like, Mac and I mean, it was like this whole like convoluted thing about how we were going to get the truck. It was like extremely last minute. We finally, we get on the path to go to Hope. We're going to pick up the truck from my dad. And I look at Instagram and what do I see? He had posted the bench with a price. <sighs> so he had it up. For, and I, so I email him and I go, Hi, if I come by seven, I can still have this. I'm literally on my way. And he goes, yep, if you come by seven, no problem. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get there. And then we're in the car. I'm like freaking out. I'm like, okay, I'm on my way. And he's like, yeah. And he's just giving me one word. And he goes, all righty. So I'm supposed to get there at 645, right? I take a wrong turn on the LIE. No. I literally message him and he just goes, I go, hey, I'm so sorry. I just took a wrong turn. I'm still going to get there by seven, but it'll, it'll be like tight. And he goes, sure. And I'm like sitting here, Ashley. I am having a panic attack my whole... I'm like, if I don't get I this I mean, bench, you're right now shaking. <laughs> I remember, honestly, when he posted it, when we were on the path, I looked at Mac and said, this is good. Like, in my heart, I let go of the bench. I go, fuck him. I don't even want his fucking bench. Why doesn't he want me That's to have this? me. It literally, I, like, had this moment of being like, I don't need that bench. Who cares? You guys, I'm I don't need to a tall it. guy. I haven't even said it yet. I'm paying $1,000 for this bench. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's not like I'm, like demanding some shitty Facebook marketplace. Like I'm going to get a plant for five bucks and it better like I promised this man I'd give him a thousand dollars and I would. And if he wanted a down payment, I would have done that, but he never said he wanted a down payment. So I'm like losing my fucking mind. Like why can I not beg this man to get to take my thousand dollars for this <laughs> fucking bench? Right. I'm like it's a beautiful bench, but like in my heart, I'd like let go of it by the time we're hoping Max like, well, if it's there, we'll get it. If not, no big deal. Okay. And I'm like, 
But then I'm thinking about last weekend, I met up with Ashley and Adrian, my friends, and they were talking about how when I fight with people, I like can't let something go. Like I just keep like dialing it back. You guys were there for the episode of the podcast where I made Ashley cry. <laughs> and I just kept being like, no, no. And so I'm in my head being like, Claire, don't do that to this man. You don't know this man. This furniture salesman. I, don't, I thought you said you weren't in your head doing that. Mac was out loud doing that. Well, Mac was saying, Claire, don't fight with him. But I was like, no, I want to ask him, why does he hate me? And Mac <laughs> was like, I don't think he does hate you, Claire. And I was like, why doesn't he want me to have this much? I'm trembling and crying and being like, Claire, just let it go, right? Like, you cannot make this man. I almost DM'd him, do you hate me? Because I was like, what the? I didn't do anything to deserve this treatment. All I want to do is buy the bench. I would have played by the rules. If I messed up the rules, it's just because I didn't know them. I'm freaking out. And Mac is just like, Claire, who cares? We'll buy the bench and then we have it. And it doesn't matter if he likes you or not. And I'm like, what do you mean? Of course it matters. I'm like, well, I'm not going to tag him in the photo. We get there. 6.58, we pull up. I'm like, I'm outside, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? What? I just think he's autistic. (laughs) He was just kind of a weirdo. We talked for like half an hour. He was super nice, but he was definitely like, I'm like, oh, you're just like a weirdo. I don't know, dude. I do like, I don't understand why he couldn't say, hey, no problem. It's on hold, but I have to put it on the grid just for like inventory purposes. Like that would have been fine. But I don't know why he couldn't have said that to me. I do feel like he was going to do me dirty. It did feel like if somebody, because he told me he was posting it on Sunday and I was like, okay, I'll be there tonight. And then he posted it that night. Like it did feel like if somebody else had like bought that bench out from under me, he would have given it to them. If somebody had gone there at 645, yeah. They could have had the bench, even though I was in a truck on the way. Like, I don't know, dude. But can I say, here's, so that was the low boys of the week. I lost my dresser. almost lost my bench. I got my bench. But me and Mac went away this weekend. I, like, completely disconnected. I said, Claire, you have to stop checking Craigslist. You have to stop checking Facebook Marketplace. You have to stop following all these furniture Instagrams. You need to disconnect and unplug. And let me tell you, I just sat by a fire and drank beer and like looked at a fire for hours and I really like zenned out and I don't know that's beautiful it's it was the fire or the nature or getting the bench or just being away from work because work really is what makes me want to kill myself but I feel much more centered I feel like I'm in a good place I'm happy I'm with so the happy bench. with you being in a good place thanks um I think I'll have a good week this week and the next week when I go back to work I'll have another bad week I agree <laughs> I do think that that's the case for sure but don't worry guys I got my bench. I'm so happy. As soon happy. as I stage it, I have to hang the plane. I'll put up an Instagram. Oh, I can't wait. All right, you guys. Um. Okay. Once again, trigger warning. We're about trigger to get into this warning. week's episode. Also, um, like, don't hold anything we say against us. We're just idiots. Like, fumbling our way through a very tricky world. A very tricky world. A tricky topic. Okay. So Unbearable Lightness by Portia de Rossi follows Portia de Rossi, nay, Amanda Rogers, <laughs> from her childhood as a model in Australia to her adulthood as an anorexic star of Ally McBeal. Um, It doesn't go much further than that. The book mostly chronicles her eating disorder within the first year of her being cast as a regular on the second season of Ally McBeal. Let's get into it. Okay. Portia de Rossi, or as I like to call her, Amanda Rogers. I just think that, like, as a punishment for her obsession with being extraordinary, we should call her by her boring, dullard name. She, I mean, we'll get into it, but that book, the memoir was all about how the most important thing in the world was to be special and extraordinary, and to the point where she even goes home at the midst of her anorexia, where she is her sickest 
and like closest to death and shits on her local friends. She literally talks about meeting up with one of her old friends and being like, how do you put up with your pathetic normal life? And like, there's never a turnaround on that. She never takes it back. She never goes, I realize now they were the happy ones. I realize now they were the ones who were succeeding. Like she kind of sticks with it and ends up marrying, I guess a megalomaniac hundred millionaire Ellen spoiler alert. So, It does seem like she was able to win and maintain that idea. And it's just like damaging book. Yeah. Okay. Let's just rewind. Rewind and freeze. Claire, what was your opinion of Portia de Rossi before you cracked open her anorexic Bible? I kind of. Okay. I only ever knew her as Ellen DeGeneres' wife. Okay. That's really all I knew her for. And then I also knew she was in Arrested Development. I thought she was hilarious in that. So I thought she was just like... This one, I'd never even, I'd heard of Allie McBeal. I had no idea she was in it. Same. From reading this book, I found out Jane Krakauer or Krakowski or whatever. Krakowski. Was also in it. Same. So like these are people I knew from Arrested Development. I knew her, Jane 30 from Rock. 30 Rock. I was like, I can't believe they were ever in anything before that. I thought those were their breakout roles. <laughs> I know. I can't believe they were famous. <laughs> I had vaguely known that Allie McBeal was the anorexia TV show where all the women got like competitively yeah. thinner on it. Um, and so I guess I vaguely knew. And then I do actually remember when her book came out in the year I have it right here. Copyright 2010, which doesn't sound that long ago, but ten, it's 10 years. years ago. I remember. So what was I 10 years ago? 17. Holy shit. Is I that was true? a baby when this came out. Yeah. This is from the year I graduated high school. Um, I remember when this came out reading an excerpt of it in People magazine or a review. And they talk about the way she would mark her bulimia by like when she knew she was about to binge she would eat um cheetos yeah and then that way when she was puking it all up she could when she saw the cheetos she knew she was getting to the beginning of it and then also i knew that in that people magazine she had said she wanted her thighs to be as thin as her calves and as somebody with kind of broad calves i was like that doesn't even sound that impressive but i now see that actually for her it was quite impressive and um, so that so I did always know she was like the girl with the anorexic memoir who was married to Ellen DeGeneres and didn't really do anything else. And then I was always worried about her because I've always known that Ellen was a psychopath. Yeah, I feel like I didn't know anything about her personal life other than that she was married to Ellen, but I didn't even think about it. And like I'd heard like stories about Ellen for a long time, like living in L.A. I like knew I like had a, a friend who was a PA on the Ellen show and like I knew how fast Ellen went through PAs, employees, specific stories? No, he's like a really nice, like law-abiding person who, like, I think believes in his NDA hardcore. And it's like, didn't you have a friend though who told her, like, a grip told her to get out of the way because a light was gonna fall? And I've heard that story, and I don't know where I heard it, but someone told her to get out of the way because a light was like very loose. And she, then the light fell and like would have crushed her and they like got fired for telling her to move. Yeah. You don't speak to Ellen. That's rule number one. You don't look Ellen in the eye. Anyway, so Portia, I knew of just like as Ellen's wife, but I, whenever I've heard stories about Ellen, for some reason, I've never associated it in any way with Portia. Like it never occurred to me until this book that I was like, oh, she married a psychopath. What's that say about her? Um, I've been wondering that for the past couple of years before I read this book. That's actually something. And I think because I vaguely had that Cheeto story in my head, I imagined her to be very meek and weak yeah. and just kind of like the hot puppet that Ellen dated. And it's interesting to hear that she's so ambitious and willful, but of course, so insecure. I don't know how wrong that I, that dynamic is. Honestly, I agree. I also didn't know that the Cheetos I'd heard that Cheetos tip, but I'm like pro Anna, pro Mia website. Yeah, I was, 
I don't know if you guys know this about me, but boy, did I not eat for a little bit. <laughs> and we got our own little Portia to Ashley on our hands. A little Ashley to Portia. Ashley to Rossi. So Ashley to Rossi. <laughs> Ashley to Rossi. Um, anyway, so I didn't even know that that was associated with her. Like maybe I did read it in a way that was associated with Portia de Rossi, but instead I was like a tip for the books. <laughs> anyway, um, all I knew is her from Arrested Development and I lo- like thought she was so funny in it. And I was like, Portia de Rossi, I like Portia de Rossi. And then I read this book and boy, oh boy, have my opinions taken a full, what's 360 plus 180? 490? I don't know. They just spun around in circles and then went the other way. 450? Hardcore. <laughs> 450? I did like a like a, a real quick and then I walked away. I'm Can somebody call in right now and tell us if it's 450? If you're listening live, please tell us what is 360, maybe 360 plus 360 plus 180. That's what I did. Fuck, Ashley. Hold on. <laughs> 360 plus 360. That's 720. 720. I knew that from watching skateboarding on TV. Plus 180. That's very easy. Now we're up to 900. Oh, okay. I did a 900 on Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get into what happened? Yeah. Let's start with the one thing that I she talks about from the very beginning. The book opens with her talking about her divorce. From a man. Oh, my God. I forgot this even happened. Yeah. He left her for... Her brother's wife. <laughs> Yikes. Um, talk about keeping it in the family, huh? <laughs> yeah, keeping it just outside the family. <laughs> saying we really love hanging out as a family, but not with the ones who are the family. <laughs> Brutal. Um, She basically married this man to pretend she wasn't gay to see if she could not be gay she had met him on a set they had had chemistry immediately they stopped having chemistry and immediately she was like making out with girls on the dance floor something that's interesting to me about Portia de Rossi that comes up a lot in the book I think actually is that she knew she was gay from a pretty early age from like 12 she seemed pretty pretty sure of it (laughs) and also like she never like just sure she was gay not sure that she could be openly gay but for somebody who waffled so hard on their identity she does seem pretty like aware of the fact that she was gay from the beginning and like comfortable going and like expressing it yeah I'm gonna say something that might be um way to armchair psychologist whatever but I wonder if because she like had this very definitive belief about herself that she fully rejected all of reality was like very up for interpretation. Do you know what I mean? Did you fill in the blanks of what was the reality of herself that she you think like she, she definitely knew she was attracted to women, but because she spent so much time being like, no, I'm not attracted to women. Then I think that there were a lot of things that were definite, like you need to eat that she could very much be like, no, I don't need to eat. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there were a lot of like hard facts in life that she was able to just like She had spent her entire life denying her true self. Yes. So she was able to like deny her body physically and emotionally. She manipulated reality to herself like very successfully for a very long time. I do think there is something very, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that like anorexia is a pretty new disease. (laughs) Like white women invented it in the 50s, honestly. (laughs) Like it's very new. The idea that you would deny yourself food, it's like not is like a first world hardcore problem to be like it's very postmodern to be like listen my looks are so important to me that I will deny my basic human but I also think a lot of times I think it's very rarely just a looks-based thing do you know it is very rarely a looks-based thing but I do think 
it starts as a looks-based thing. I think a diet starts as a looks-based thing. I think when it, once it crosses into anorexia, that's when something else has come in. Yeah, I and agree I think with that. that like it is partly because we live in such a world of excess that it is like the most primal thing to deny yourself. But I guess there's always been like uh, when people do like starving protests. You know what I mean? There's always yeah. been this awareness that to have the will to deny yourself food, it, it means you have an intense will. And I think that because she had. I mean, she was just trying to become a different person. Like that's her, the entire yeah. like thesis of this book is she didn't want to be Amanda Rogers. So she picked another name when she's 12 years old. She wanted to become a model. So she claimed she like went in there and willfully became a model. And she did have this idea that comes very across that she does believe everything in her life comes from her will and her yes. determination. And she so convincingly um, tells that narrative from that perspective that it honestly convinced me that she was like this ugly fat bitch. Like yeah. she tells this story about how when she's 12 years old, she wanted to become a model. So she goes to the model. She makes her mom drive her to the modeling agency and she goes in there by herself and is like, I'm going to make you the most money you've ever made. I'm young, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, I wasn't pretty. I didn't look like a model. I wasn't tall. I was fat. But because I was had so much like gumption and determination, they signed her. And in my head, I was like, wow, she must have really just. But then she keeps getting booked. And I'm sorry, the people on the other side don't give a fuck about your sass and your pizzazz. Like, yeah, I mean, honestly, for about 100 pages, I was just like, wow, she was so fat in the scene. Wow, she was she, so like, fat. She's not talking about her round face and her tiny eyes. And then I looked her up and I was like, what? I, I literally had this moment where I looked her up and I go, oh, she was actually pretty pretty. And then I go, no, Claire, she was fucking gorgeous. She was literally cast as the sexy new girl on the sexy TV show. Yeah. Like, like she is objectively so beautiful, but her self-hatred like convinced me to hate her too. And yeah. her like her narrative that she tells herself and tells in the book that she has no like natural looks it's all like hard work. I was like, oh, of course she hard worked her way into being a child model. No, you don't. No, you don't at all. Like that's the thing about the modeling industry is that like they literally don't care what you want or what like how hard yeah. you want or who you are. That's like the exact, especially, especially in that era. I was gonna say pre Instagram. Now you can kind yeah. of be like, I've got a following. But back then you had the look or you didn't and you shut the fuck up and you just look the way you look. Yeah. And yeah, like I agree like the way she talks about herself in this book I did have to like keep on checking reality to like see what she was saying like she talks about her first day on the set of Allie McBeal and how like fat and disgusting she looked and how her like skirt stretched across her thighs and she just like looked like this like lardy bitch and like I went back and I like looked up the first episode that she appears in and I went and I watched her first scene and I was like she's just so poised and beautiful and like elegant and skinny she's and it's so like, skinny i mean she I there's know. another scene where she talks about doing her rolling stone australia cover interview and she talks about how fat and she had just come out of a huge binge where she was like the fattest she had been in a year and she's talking about how it's disgusting she was she had gotten herself a private chef she had been stuffing her face yeah and then you and you're like wow i can't believe she got in a bikini looking like that and then you look at the, uh, the photos from the rolling cover stone and you think oh my god this was still one of the thinner women on earth I mean, it was crazy. Like she talks about, I mean, this is like the last specific one. We'll, we'll like move on. But she, um, when she talks about the underwear scene she had to do on Allie McBeal. I mean, I like made you watch that one. It was the way she talks about how repulsive she looked, like how fat and round and like her thighs were just like bulging into oblivion. And you like look at her and you're just like, holy shit, you are like notably thin. It's crazy. It's crazy. So back to what I think we were originally saying is that 
the gay thing, the anorexia thing, I mean, it's all part of the same problem. Her father died when she was young. I think when mm-hmm. she was 10 years old, she barely talks about it. She barely, she literally barely brings it up at the beginning, acts like it's no big deal. And then there's one sentence at the very end where she goes, I realized I wasn't mad at my mom. I was mad at my dad. Cause she talks a lot of shit about her mom, about how she, the whole anorexia thing was kind of a cry for help to make her mom accept that she was gay. Cause her mom accepted her sort of, and that she still loved her, but she was her mom did specifically say, don't tell anyone you'll never have a career and don't tell your grandma it will kill her. Like her mom yes. was like, you can for sure be gay and I'll love you as long as you're not like, gay. I'll, I'll love you as long as nobody else knows. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so but then there is this breakthrough scene at the end where she goes, it's, I wasn't mad at my mom. She was mad at her mom. She Plot, was totally I mean, mad at her spoiler, mom. <laughs> she was mad at her mom. That's why she wrote an entire book about how mad she was at her mom. Um, but she was like, I was mad at my dad for being dead and for like not being there for me. And I do believe that was a large part of it. It was weird to me that it didn't get a bigger do. Yeah. Cause she also mentions at one point her dad, like valuing her beauty, like called her beautiful or something like that, where I think that she like put it in her head where she's like, all I have to offer is like this beauty that never actually existed. And so I have to create yeah. this beauty so that like my dad's dying wish for me to be a beautiful daughter like isn't a lie or something you know what I mean like it was some like twisted thing that she like twisted the words of her like dying father (laughs) so okay the quote goes I don't blame you mama I blame dad I blame you dad I blame you for telling me that I was pretty I blame you for dying before you had time to change your mind because of you I make up stories have fantasy lives fill in the missing words you're the blank you're the dear mom and letter I had to make up because all the other children at camp and at had a dad and not a blank where a dad was missing being forced to write that letter was the first time I really knew you were missing. And it was a year after you died. That's tough. So I do think because she didn't have, I mean, this is the armchair psychologist. My take, uh, it does seem like the picture she's trying to paint paint here is that when he died, she didn't have that second source of validation she needed. It did sound like her mom was a little in over her head and allowed her to make the modeling thing her way of getting validation. And she had this idea that if you become a model, then objectively you have to be pretty. She was so insecure, so worried she wasn't that she thought if she could hit these landmarks, if she could get this like beauty diploma right, and have this like beauty PhD, nobody could ever take that from her because she's like, how could I be ugly if I'm a model that she could kind of force herself into believing that she was worthy. If she had all of these successes that indicated worthiness that was missing because she didn't have a dad. Right. I also, I don't know. I mean, let's talk about like her mom's complicity or whatever. If her mom was, because I do think it's tough. So she decided that she had this dream of being a child model and then she would like binge on McDonald's or whatever. And then she would tell her mom, like, don't let me do this. And so then her mom would like be okay with her kind of like rejecting normal foods and like only eating like potatoes for a week to like get skinnier, like just like weird random like crash diets she would do before shoots. And I I don't I think at the beginning, especially like in that era, I don't know that her mom understood that what she was doing was damaging. Also, I want to say like in defense of the mom, I think it's like society is so damaging right. and then we are all damaged. I mean, we talk about this with Jenny Hogan a lot. You guys will see in the upcoming M- that it's like the hardest thing about eating disorders is they are so glorified and so pushed in society that it's hard to see where the line ends. And it's hard to say who's toxic because we're all toxic. We're all complicit. And I mean, even I have memories of a child. Like I could pick out like 
right now at the top of my head, like 10 things my mom has said to me that I'm sure she was like, I didn't mean that at all, but you are yeah. so, so fucking obsessed with your body. When you're 10, 11, 12, your body is changing. You're looking around. You see what society says, which is all that matters is your body. You pick that up. You look at your body. Your body is like betraying you by changing every day. The things that people say to you about your body, like are just branded on your brain forever. I mean, I will say when I, so like I was like doughier in high school. I like gained weight. I like didn't understand nutrition at all. I wasn't exercising really after I stopped playing sports. Like I just like wasn't thin and I do have a narrow frame. Like I'm not a big person. Like, I'm not big boned. I'm not curvy. And when I went to college and just like kind of started exercising and like losing weight sort of by accident, the amount of people that were like struck by how much better I looked like that's why I stopped eating because like the like amount of positive reinforcement I got was absolutely psychotic. Like I remember one time my mom, I was like home from college and this was like after I'd like gotten like started like really like restricting how much I ate I was like home from college for something and someone came to pick something up from my mom they were like on a committee together or something and like this woman was I like answered the door and she goes oh my god you are and I was like oh thank you and she was like no like you were a like you were a lovely girl but you have gotten beautiful and I was like oh thank you so much and she like kept like she was like floored and she like kept repeating how beautiful I was. And I was like, keep not eating. Ashley. <laughs> like you're doing so good. I mean, I remember like being like nine and my grandfather saying like something like I was filling out. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. I went to the car and I cried and I wouldn't go back. In oh, house. I remember one time my uncle said I was filling out and I like, honestly have never forgiven him. <laughs> I mean, it's just those little offhanded comments that mean so fucking much yeah. to you. Like, it, they're so traumatizing. And the other thing is, so yeah. what we're talking about with Amanda Rogers' mother, the, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Amanda Rogers' mother, is that so she wanted to be this model and then she would binge. And then for a, she would get booked and she'd be like, fuck, I have to lose. I told them I was 10 pounds thinner. So she would just like basically not. She would eat like leeks. Literally, like, <laughs> she had a diet that she knew always worked. If you only eat 300 calories a day for seven days. By the end, you'll lose seven pounds. Right. And she goes, it always works. You lose one pound this first day, two, like a second pound the second day, third day you lose a pound. And then she goes, then it stalls for two days. And then, and then you like drop three. Yeah. Yeah. And it works every time. And it was just like, I get where her mom's thing was like, yeah, if she had showed up 10 pounds overweight, she would have been dropped. And if this is your daughter's dream, like it is going to be fucking hard. I mean, I watched cheer. Did you watch cheer? Yeah. Where I know there's like that Gabby and, uh, is that the dark haired one? Yeah. The one who was like famous on Instagram. Yeah. Beforehand. And it's like the thing is if your kid has this dream, it's hard work. And it's like, is this right? Like what as a parent do you do? Do you help them achieve their dreams by being like, if your dream is to be extraordinary, it's going to be tough. Or do mm-hmm. you say, no, take the easy way out and like undermine. Because also there's the thing of like, if her mom had like tried to keep her from this binge and restrict diet, then she would have in order to like, remind her to like sort of not become overweight she would have been like no you can't have mcdonald's on these other you know what i mean that's the other thing is it's so embedded in our society that food is a treat Mm -hmm. that like after these go see she would get mcdonald's but like that means food is a treat so then your brain is like doesn't want to deprive itself of its treat you start like fetishizing it and like wanting it not for being food but then the other thing is like in the 80s we were all crash dieting i mean i wasn't born yet but like i do think it's hard to know what's healthy and what's not, especially back then when everybody's like the best thing you do for your body is 
I mean, like Diet Coke all day from the era of like sugar free snack well cookies being like a health food. You know what I mean? Like nobody understood a goddamn thing about nutrition and and like whole foods and real ingredients then. Which, like, still to this day can be, like, super, I mean, super just, toxic. They just came out of the woodwork and went, oh, sugar actually does make you fat. Fucking yeah. duh. But they had us <laughs> all. Like, can you imagine the fact that we had to be taught that? People were drinking, like, 400 Diet Cokes a day and being like, it has zero calories. But they were like, fat is bad. Sugar is fine. People were just, like, eating Domino sugar to the dome. Just, like, brown sugar for breakfast. And being like, you can't get fat off sugar. And then being like, but don't fucking eat an avocado, you fat whore. I mean, it's crazy. It's bullshit. But then I will say for me personally, so like I I understand the fact that you have a daughter who has this dream that seems to be going well and you want to support her. And unfortunately, her dream does involve this reality about how you have to look in the same way that like if you had a son or daughter who wanted to be like an Olympic athlete, they would have to wake up at 4 Mm a.m. and work out and it would suck, but you have to drive them. Like, you know what I mean? Like there are things that are going to suck on your way to greatness. Right. What is pushing your kid through the bullshit? And then what is actually pushing them too hard? Yeah. The other thing I will say is that it was the eighties. Nobody knew shit about anything where I draw the line and I go, um, Mrs. Rogers (laughs) at one point when she was 14, they put her on like amphetamine. They put her on Fenfen. Yeah. They put her on Fenfen. She went to a doctor and said, I have a hard time keeping my weight off. Can I have Fenfen? And now that you see what to her was the high weight, it was just like, a normal way. And the fact that a doctor prescribed Benven for her and the fact that her the mom, mom took her, her to the doctor and got like, that is crazy. They were like, I, I have an idea. Ben Fen. <laughs> and then it just like made her too crazy. And so she just like went off it and went back to binging and restricting. And it's like, and then she went to Weight Watchers and then she went to another one. She went to some other, Do you know, workout. one part that really struck with, struck with me. Struck with you. <laughs> it struck you in the head it and struck me. There. And then it kept striking me every day. when I'm walking down the street, I get struck by it and I think about it again and I fall down and then everyone's like, there's a pandemic get off the ground. Um, is when she was at Weight Watchers and everyone had to go around the room and say something they liked about their body. And then they got to her at 14 years old and she was like just dumbfounded and she couldn't think of a single thing that she liked about her body. She was like, I don't like my eyes. I don't like my nose. I don't like my ears. I don't like my arms. I don't like anything. Like at least I have my eyes. Like for the love of God, thank goodness I have these beautiful green eyes. I remember a girl in college telling me she liked her wrists because it's the only part of your body that never really gets fat. It, like, That's stays actually small. not true. <laughs> it stays small. I do think that the mom isn't at fault, but I don't think that she was. No, and I do think she was over her head as a single mom, and I think it definitely wasn't good parenting, but I don't think it, but it did feel like. Yeah. She was such an intense kid. She was also so intense. I will say later in the book, we'll get to this, the way that like when people were very aware of the fact that she was like hurting herself like I don't think anyone was like keenly aware that she should have been like legitimately kidnapped and put in like an inpatient program because I remember reading the parts where her friends and her family would like mention to her that she'd gotten too thin and I don't think anyone was aware of like quite how sick in the head she was I will say and like how she was taking their like weeping and saying please stop doing this to yourself as a compliment (laughs) It's really hard to know what to say to an anorexic person because it's such a weird disease. Like, you know what I mean? You would never go up to a cancer patient and be like, your tumor is so big. You need to go to the doctor and have them be like, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. So it is like a weird disease where like the 
Like you don't really know how to tell somebody. I mean, I, it was just so yeah. obvious to anybody who looked at her, but I can see how when you're that warped in your world, it's you're you've already removed yourself so much from like an outsider's honest perspective that you can also then convince yourself that if I wear a baggy shirt, nobody noticed. Or like I'll talk about snacks a lot and then nobody will yeah. I mean, there's, we always talk about that. Like we know a couple people who are notably thin and like they'll tweet all the time about being like, you will not believe how many Sour Patch Kids I ate today. And it's like, I do believe it was done. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite anorexia story. This is so fucked up. But it's when one notable anorexic that we know when you saw her at a party and she spent the entire party talking about how happy she was that there was cake there. Yeah, I literally did not see her take a single bite of the cake. And I saw her like cut a slice of cake and hand it to her boyfriend. And like right you like walked and she's like there's cake. There's cake. The best in my life. There's cake. And like talked about the cake for hours. The cake was fine. So she's like did you hear we're finally eating the cake. And then when you saw her, she had like cut the slice of cake and given it away and been like we're going to split one. And then it was just like Okay, you fooled us. We all think you love cake. We all think you had at least one bite of cake tonight. Great. I don't know. It was just I don't want to be mean. It is it's just such a weird disease because it's so social. It's so notice it like it's so noticeable. I'll say when I used to like really watch every calorie that I ate, if I knew that I had plans, I would not eat all day so that I could eat whatever I wanted at dinner and I would still look up like the menu before I went and like pick the lowest calorie thing on the menu and like order that and like eat the whole thing. And well, I would never eat the whole thing. I would always leave two bites of everything I ate. It was insane. And then I would, what was the thinking there in my calorie counter? I would log it as if I ate the whole thing. And so that's how I knew that I never went over because I would always leave two bites. And so then I was like, I'm never in danger of going over my calorie intake because whatever I'm logging, I'm eating a tiny bit less than that. And so in case the calories in like the calorie counter are off, I haven't fucked up. Do you think we should save your personal stories for the Patreon? Possibly. Because they're both triggering and juicy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'll do more there. Yeah. We'll get into it. Subscribe. Yeah. yeah, Subscribe and listen and get sick with us. Maybe you could do it and then I'll listen to it when I work out. I'm trying to get down to, you know what? I'll save this for the Patreon. Yeah. Let's do our Patreon episode next. Okay. Um, Because I have a lot to say. Because I mean, honestly, reading Portia's book, like it didn't make, like give me an eating disorder, but it gave me that ink, that desire to want one again. Yeah. It was just sick. It really put me back in that mindset of being like, this is a smart. I want to talk a little bit more about like the way she like included details in this book. Yes. We both think it was highly irresponsible. Yeah. And I, I mean, you talked a little bit, you'll, you'll hear it next week about like whether or not it was more her editor's responsibility to like edit that out and say, you shouldn't write that. But I also think that like, in some ways, like, I don't know, this is still like a business and like, obviously these salacious details are like what sells like sex sells and like also so does mental illness, you know? Yeah. And I do think like, I know I'm torn because I I do think on the one hand it was her editor's responsibility to keep it um, reasonable for readers to like be within what is healthy to listen to. But also I do see that her editor's main goal is just to sell books. And I do wonder what was Portia likes to pretend she's a fully healed person even though the this epilogue is, talk about. is so fucked up it's so revealing about how unhealthy she is but for her as a quote-unquote recovered person I think she should know how damaging it is and she, my problem with the book is that it is written from the perspective of the sick person in the moment that the person is sick there is no 
There's no reflection. There's no reflection. There's no... Like, as I was saying, she convinced me she was fat and ugly. Yeah. That's how intense and sickly from such a six person. It's almost like um Lolita. Yeah. Oh, there is one thing that I want to talk about in terms of, like, the disorder before we move on from that. Yeah. Is the, the way that she thought exercise could solve everything. Like, whenever she would have, like, a major fuck up, which... Like, um, what was major in her mind as a fuck up, the way that she would, like, absolutely lose her fucking shit and just, like, exercise for hours in, like, genuinely the most unhinged way I've ever heard. Like, as someone who has, like, had, or like, this yeah. kind of, like, I was, like, very it, obsessed with exercise. Exercise bulimia. Yeah. The way that she would do it, like, I've never even, like, cons- like, she would wear these platform shoes because they thought she felt that they were the shoes that made her legs look the skinniest. I get that. I get them. I get as somebody who hates their legs. I do understand that like legs are everywhere and you can't escape them. And it is a hell to have fat, ugly legs. So I get that. I live that. Find a shoe that makes your legs look good to you. Wear that shoe every day. I don't care. But the problem was that she was wearing a platform sandal. And like one time she like overdosed on gum. She just ate more gum than she thought. She calculated it to be about 60 calories. And so in order to accommodate for that 60 calories, we talked about this. She started running sprints in a parking garage and then she went home and ran sprints up and down her own stairs. And it's like, all in a platform shoe. That's what was crazy to me too. Why can't that bitch get sneakers? Why can't that bitch get sneakers? Like why couldn't it? Like she was so, even when she went home and felt that she had more working off to do, she still like couldn't even fathom finding the time to like change into sneakers before sprinting up and down the stairs. Like she was so like one track mind to like get these calories out before it's too late and they've sunken into my body forever that she was like run like why did she never even mention like her feet being they had to have been like gashed and bloody like when she flew back to Australia she flipped out because oh she God. realized that like because of time changes and whatever she like didn't know how many calories she'd eaten that day and so even though it had potentially been none like because she didn't eat anything on the plane like I don't know what happened to her but like she was mad at her mom. She was mad at her mom for saying she was too thin. So she went running. She just said, I have to go for a run. And she was wearing her platform shoes and jeans and ran miles. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. I know it's mean to laugh. And it is crazy. But like change your outfit. Like she couldn't even. And she's like. Like, she's shocked that people think that she's like sick and anorexic. And it's like you were so like lost at the concept of like dealing with anything that you had to like go I mean she physically in jeans she ran away from her problem there yeah I mean my my favorite that's fucked up to say but my favorite uh weird uh, thing is that when when she was drive to work she would just get out of her car and run around the block because she was yeah. worried that sitting or that she would like bang her head really hard to sounds to like make sure she wasn't just sitting still. But the idea of every time you had a red light, just running out of your car and running around the block. Crazy. Crazy. She would like tap her legs, like jostle, like move her arms around. It is unhinged the way that she like had. I mean, not unhinged. Like, I know that that's like, I just think that like. I've never heard anything like the level at which she had anorexia. No. And I mean, she won. She got down to 82 pounds. That's a pretty top tier yeah. level of anorexia. Top tier anorexia. Good job, Amanda. Um, Let's talk more about Ellen. I mean, Ellen doesn't come up until the end. Ellen. Right. Knowing what we know about Ellen now. So here's why we're mad. 
and I think this is important, is that the way the book is framed is it ends with her beginning to get help. So she is stuck in her anorexia. Her brother tries to have an intervention. She has this like breakthrough moment with her mom. And then she comes back to New York, uh, the America, the, this one, the U.S. America, and does a movie and has to decide she has to stay that skinny. So she is like, well, I'll get over my anorexia. But after this movie, she then passes out on set, which causes doctors to get involved. And that's when she finds out all the problem, all the thing damage she has done to her body because of the anorexia. And it's like osteoporosis lupus lupus liver failure <laughs> liver failure and with photos and that's where the book ends and to me it's very sick to end out your thinnest that's like not a story of recovery and then in the epilogue she goes i'm all better now and then i met ellen and she literally says ellen's upstairs reading this book right now and then ellen comes down and goes people know you're not this crazy now right and i'm like what a psycho thing to say and she's really into being like Ellen never knew me then. I was so crazy then. I don't know. It just feels very like the I wanted the to one mention thing. that she does. I she does specifically say, "I met. I was fully recovered before I was ever with Ellen." Like she talks about the woman she had a relationship with, Ringo Starr's granddaughter or something, um, before she was ever with Ellen, and she talks about how she was. She mentions outright, I was recovered before I met Ellen. And to me, that reads as a line that Ellen said, you've got to put that in the book. <laughs> and But I think what weirds me out is how fucked up the epilogue is. In the epilogue, she... I think the epilogue is the most damaging part of the book. <laughs> she claims that she no longer works out. She just lives a healthy lifestyle that involves She's walking, horseback riding, biking, dancing, dancing, and swimming laps every day. All of those activities and hiking. And then on top of that, she's... I hate the word exercise. I'm allergic to gym. And then she goes, I walk my dogs every day on like long walks. And goes, I've noticed that overweight people never walk their dogs. Overweight people are always walking at the gyms. And I'm like, what a psychotic, judgmental thing to say in your healed... Ep- like, who let her leave that line? And I think we talked about this in the Ginny episode, too. All people who live their lives on a diet are suffering, is a thing she says. She just, like, she really... Um, I want... She talks about how she... Like when she was with this woman, um, she realized that you actually could like just listen to your body and maintain like a reasonable, healthy weight. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fact that like if your natural weight had been fat, like you you aren't recovered. You just like realized you were never fat. You know what I mean? Well, I just think it's it's very disingenuous about what recovery from eating disorder is because that shit yeah. is always like in remission until it's not. And it it's is. like, it's not something you just get over. Like it was a weird cold, like it stays yeah. with you forever and it gets triggered and it gets bad when times are tough. And to be in Hollywood, to be releasing this book, to be on film, I'm sorry, but there's no way it hasn't, like there's no way you're yeah. ever fully recovered. It's a struggle you have to have every day. And the way she, she skipped over the recovery and then goes, this is me recovered, still judging fat people yeah, and working out constantly without calling it working out. Very sick to me and it's very dishonest. And I just like, it don't really know let her do this. was so dishonest. Like, I do think that the worst thing is that she doesn't talk about being in recovery at all. She talks about how it was hard, how like as soon as she started eating again and she like started letting herself eat the foods that she'd been neglecting because she only ate seven foods when she was anorexic. She would eat like tuna with butter spray and butter. jello with spray butter. And yeah, no, sorry. I can't believe it's not butter spray butter. It was zero calories. She would not have eaten butter. It literally would have killed her um emotionally but 
I think the way that she talks about how like she when she started letting herself eat all those foods that she never let herself have again, she went up to like 160 pounds and she felt so bad and gross and disgusting. And then she kind of evened out down to like 130. And she like talks about that with pride that her like natural point was around 130. And then she also just doesn't talk about that time in recovery at all. How like difficult and emotional it is to be like eating normally again, like to be eating all these foods that you'd rejected for so long to like be a normal person, just like eating meals with people like that is hard. Cause the thing that we said about anorexia, not only is it like deeply glorified, but it's also not a thing like it's not like an addiction to drinking where if you suffer from it, you can quit drinking. Like yeah. if you suffer from like eating related issues, you have to just learn how to be better. You can't stop. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't stop. It has to be something you can live with. I mean, it's really hard. And I feel like this book does, does it a disservice by acting like it was a phase she went through. Yeah. I think it was a, a disservice to put up photos of her looking happy at her most anorexic. It's really a sick book. And and I hated it. I will say that finishing this book, it made me genuinely dislike her. And I was watching Arrested Development the other day and it like annoyed me to see her. I just want to say, I think what was, she does live a very lonely life. She has no friends in it. Yeah. She has no uh, ro- romantic relationships besides the husband that lasts less than a year that leaves her for her brother's wife. Mm-hmm. And everybody like, she doesn't have anybody in her life. And she never really she talks like, about how lonely that is. She hangs out with her brother. She had a couple friends that she like there's stopped never seeing fully. a moment and it's there's never a moment where she goes it was lonely. Yeah. She just writes like they're not a part that matters to her. And I think that's like the disservice she does in the book is to like never. It's always bragging about how thin she was. It really is. It's told of it's, it's told bragging. in the sick mindset of I was willing to work harder than anybody to be thin. And I, I did. I did. it. Yeah. And everybody in the world agreed that being thin was the most important thing. I worked the hardest to do it because I am the most noble and hardworking and therefore I deserve the best. And I won. And now everybody's acting like we didn't all choose that. And that's the mindset of the whole book. And it doesn't. And then at the end, she's kind of like, I'm just kidding. Now I think it's about not working hard to be thin. I think it's about leisuring your way into being thin. And you're a fat piece of shit if you're trying too hard, actually. It's I just I hate her. I don't I get how you'd hate her as like a former ed person because i feel like i like don't i feel a lot of sympathy for her but i feel feel a ton of sympathy for her because her brain is so fucking sick but i also i feel sad she never really got the help that she needed i think i do too that she's not healed i do think it just is i i feel very sad that it's so deep in her brain like anytime anyone said anything to her negative weight related about being too like when she would not eat she would be like Wow, everyone was so impressed about how I didn't eat. Like, I mean, if you know what made me hate Ellen, it made me hate because Ellen. if I was married to somebody and I read this book in this epilogue, I would go, "Baby, you need to go back." You, like, why isn't anybody forcing her into help? Yeah, why hasn't she gotten more help? It made me feel very sad for her brother, who like really just wanted the best for her and like didn't know what to do. I would be so mad if I was one of her home friends who she just shits on for being for never Boring leaving Australia. She's like, they never left Australia. How could they put up with such a pathetic life? Australia is like a small shitty. It's not like you're from like Indiana and you're just like, they never left Indiana. It's like Australia. If I was from Australia, I would never leave Australia. It's also a weird book because they kind of act like she's working so hard on her eating disorder. Like it's just, she clearly was working hard on other things too. Cause when else was she learning? Like, yeah, she like was successful pretty much out of the gate. 
Yeah, it really weirds me out. How easy it me, all was for her. Because it does kind of make you think that being anorexic is all there is. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't talk about the work she went into. Like, she was two years into Hollywood when she was cast on the number one hit show on Earth. And it was kind of like, I it guess the key is to be anorexic. What career she could have had if she hadn't been so obsessed with eating. Because she also, like, isn't that famous outside of, like... Ellen like she was never the leading lady so for her to be successful in Hollywood like I do think it was because she was on a hit show and if she had been like auditioning and like trying hard at stuff she wouldn't have had time to be anorexic do you know what I mean it does seem like she could have gone big it seems like everyone else was moving on to things but she couldn't because all she was thinking about was eating but yeah. there, it's not told from that perspective it's not told we don't know because she won't say it like we talked about this she a never says bit, like, everybody else was going on auditions but I had to run six hours a day like she was talking about everyone was doing like movies for the summer and she didn't have mm-hmm. a movie like maybe she didn't have a movie because she spent all of her free time running like six miles at 7 a.m. Like I mean and then she never said yeah and she always is saying I'm getting less and less scenes is it because I'm not sexy enough yeah they know what you look like when they met you so it's very hard because there's never a reality check and in that way you get I mean it's well written in the sense that it really gives you head on the perspective of a sick person but then in terms of general ethics is that a good thing to put out there when it's when it's not a great work of art, it's just a book you accidentally pick up and then come out with an eating disorder. Anyway, should we move on to our favorite subject of all time? Yes. Nine eleven. Oh, sorry. Nine eleven. What did Portia take away from nine eleven? Is all celebrities take away something? I was still heavy, probably around one fifty when nine eleven happened. <laughs> That is the funniest, sickest shit I've ever heard in my life. Where was your weight on 9-11? I am losing my fucking mind. Oh, my God. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, Is there anything else? Yeah, 9-11 changed my life. (laughs) I was so deeply disturbed by the realization that I could die without living my life openly and happily that I reached out to a friend who'd wanted me to meet a girl. She knew and went on my first and I went on my first date with Francesca. We instantly became serious, blah, blah, blah. Gay that shit. is the gayest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> she had two girlfriends. It was the girl she met first and then the girl she met while she met the first girl. Um, you but guys. Yeah, so 9-11 convinced uh, Portia it was okay to be gay. The end. That's good. 9-11 had a great impact on everybody. We love you. We have an incredible discussion with Ginny Hogan, who's an amazing comedian, like a published author and a a former ED girl, just like the two of us. So (laughs) join along as we talk to her about her take on Portia de Rossi. Bye.